3: And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 8, 2021, episode 2657. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, horse world. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life, I could work on this, and and I'll never stop learning.
2: Well, good morning, Mary. How are you doing here the second Thursday of every month? How's it going? I'm doing pretty good. It's not too bad. It's gorgeous out right now has springtime come to camp texas to stay or is it still a crapshoot
3: no i think we're pretty much here we're um we're getting ready to uh, dodge tornadoes actually ah! um, nothing in the forecast but it's it's about that time of the year gee you're just so
2: casual we're gonna dodge tornadoes it's that time of year
3: yeah it's no big deal you just you know
2: If the sky gets green, then you just go underground. There you you go. (laughs) Well, speaking of dodging tornadoes, coming up on today's show, as usual, we are going to geek out on horse training. So if you get a little green around the gills when you're training your horse, you need to tune in and listen carefully. Today, we're talking about relaxing and thinking during a training ride, and then we're going to have several listeners who have answered several listener questions, who submitted on our HRN Auditor's page. Everything from fixing top lines on older horses, to ponying horses, to horses that trot all over you. And then one brave listener is going to come on the show live and bear her soul on, on, on all of her training issues. And we're going to try to help her solve some of those. So at this point in the show, we always start out with Mary's training tip. And Mary always fills us in on the inspiration behind behind the training tip. So what's it going to be this month, my dear? So
3: this is something I've talked on the show quite a bit before. And the reason I'm bringing it up again is um, I usually get comments like from the auditors or other people who've listened to the show about how they didn't think to do this with their horses, and it's just not something that you typically think about. And I think it's really important, and that is allowing your horse um points during your ride and I do this several times a ride to just stop and relax and breathe. And I think especially those of us who are you know we're training for competition we or we're professionally training we have all these lofty goals and we have to get this and this and this done today with our horse. We it's easy to kind of go you know from one exercise into the next exercise into the next exercise without just pausing and not only just letting your horse just have a, a mental break, you know, we were just working on lead changes and now we're going to work on circles, you know, having that, that pause between those two things just to chill out. And this is important, again, for that mental break to let your horse, you know, we, you're kind of signaling to your horse, we're done with this thing, we're getting ready to work on a new thing, let's just take a pause. Um, But it's also, in its own way, you are training and exercise when you do this. And where I see this crop up uh, where someone maybe hasn't done enough of this at home is in high-stress situations with your horse. Uh, Maybe you're on the trail or you're at a show. And um, inevitably, when you're doing those things, there's going to be a point where you need your horse to stop And wait. Let's say you got on your horse first at the trailhead, and you're still waiting for your buddies to mount up. You need even though your your horse is excited, he's getting ready to go. You need to stop and wait while everyone gets situated. Or when you're showing, when you're in the lineup, if you're if you're doing rail classes and you're waiting for the places to be called, or um, you're in the warm up pen and you're you know you're next to go, and your horse has to stop and wait until you're called. Um so you're training and practicing for that at home. If you do that, uh it's going to make a world of difference for your horse. And the other thing, the the reason why I'm bringing this up again is uh the example that kind of made me think of it was I was working with Remy the other day on um lead departures. And we're starting to get pretty advanced with with the things I'm teaching him and I'm working on getting him to do a lead departure like perfect from the walk. We're really perfecting that, but also from the standstill. And for Remy, this is a really stressful exercise because he knows he's supposed to respond as soon as I ask, um, but he also has to wait until I ask. So it's this balance of he's got to have all that energy stored and ready to go, but he can't jump the gun and do it ahead of me. So when we work on these lead departures, I feel him getting kind of he almost feels electric, like as I'm, you know, I'll be walking him around the arena and preparing for the next one. And I can feel him going, Oh my gosh, we're going to do lead departure. We're going to do a lead departure. And so after I work on, you know, maybe two or three of those, uh, cause I usually, I, uh, three is my magic number. If, if I do any more than three, it just feels like it's, it's a little too much. And, and I want three good ones. So it might take several to get the three good ones, but once I get that, I'm not going to keep drilling on it. So uh, we were done with the lead departures. And instead of me just going on to the next thing or even getting off of him, I, uh, I decided to, okay, we're going to stop. I'm going to drop the reins. I'm going to ask you to just lower your head a bit. And we're just going to sit here. And... He's very obedient, so he does what I ask. He doesn't have, a, have difficulty standing still, but I can still feel that electricity in him. That we've just done something that he finds very stressful, and he's still got all that energy pinned up. So I just stood there and asked him just to hang out. And what you'll usually see in these situations, anyone who's been around horses long enough, is if you sit there and wait for a little bit, your horse will start to lick and chew. So we've always been taught that licking and chewing is a sign of relaxation in a horse. Um, But it's really, to me, it's more of a release. Something stressful has just happened and they were holding everything in and now all of a sudden they're just letting it out with chew, with chew. And this can happen after something good has happened or it can happen after your horse has bucked you off. It's pretty much just a a signal (laughs) that something happened that involved pressure and now the pressure's coming, and so I'm going to lick and chew and lick and chew. And something I figured out um, a couple of years ago listening to another horseman talk about this very subject is you'll get that initial lick and chew, which is good, like that does just let me know, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a deep breath, and you'll actually hear him sometimes expel air. They'll just go, oh, lick, chew, lick, chew, lick, chew. That's a good sign. But if you sit there a little bit longer... Because uh, I used to go, okay, you relax. Now let's go to the next thing. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So he did that one. And then I sat there for a, a minute, another minute. And then all of a sudden he just went again. He went, ah, lick, chew, lick, chew, lick, chew. And you could sit there for five or ten minutes and have the same process. And the, it's like each time they go to that licking and chewing and expelling that air, it's just they, they, they're really letting everything out and they're just – completely releasing that pressure and relaxing. And not only is this good for your horse to kind of, you know, you're telling them it's okay. I'm not going to pick up the reins. We're not jumping to the next thing. Just have at it. Just relax, release the pressure, let, let go of everything. Yeah. Um, and, but it's also in my opinion, and I don't really have any scientific data uh, to back this up, but I feel just from working with horses that this, part of the ride where we've already done the, the thing we're working on, but now we're relaxing. I think that is where the, the information is being retained, where they're yeah. actually learning. Yeah. So it's really important to
2: give that to the horse. And, and might I add, because this is not something growing up in my formative equestrian years, we did. It was you get on the horse, you warm the horse up, you work, you're done. There's, there weren't breaks. Occasionally, you'd let them walk on a loose rein to catch their breath. And it was literally a case of letting the horse catch his breath. Um, yeah, sitting,
3: they're really hot and it yeah. have got to breathe.
2: Yeah. <laughs> S- sitting still, quietly, and not giving your horse any aids or input, just hanging out for five minutes during a ride seems like an eternity to me. I have, I can feel yes, myself so twitching for people too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It teaches me that. And something that I've found useful too, for Nigel, my OTTB who really struggles with canter work of any kind. Um, and he, he came with the inability to pick up canter leads. He just would leap in the air and there would be bucking fits and it was just horrible. Um, and we, we worked through that and got reasonably consistent. Is after we do that, we stop, we take a break, a deep breath, have a little rub on the neck, make sure he does the chill. And you are absolutely right. He'll take it, he'll let it out. He'll actually start to breathe, but then he holds it again. And I have to wait a little while longer until I can really start him to feel breathe regularly and deeply. Then the next skill we go do, if we're not done for the day, I go and do something that is super, super easy for him. The, the, the skill set that he literally goes, I can do this all day. And I try to make sure I finish my ride doing one of those things. Because there's certain things, and some of them are things that are what I would consider more advanced work, like um, turn backs at the walk. He can do them all day long, not get excited, ding, 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 or 20-meter trot figure eights. He can do those all day long. Two skills that are very different, but he finds super easy emotionally and physically. And if I follow up his canter departs with skills like that, I have found that he will gradually become less stressed about the prospect of having to do canter departs.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point and and it's something that I could talk about for so long. I think it'd be a great training tip for next month, but scheduling what you're going to work on in your ride is Ooh. really important. And I know yeah. when you're doing performance events with your horses like the reining, you know, when I was working for the reining trainers um and getting horses ready for the futurity, Um, we're training these young horses. We've got several maneuvers. This horse has to know really well, which is, you know, loping circles, lead changes, uh, transit speed transitions from a large fast circle to a small, slow circle. We've got the spins, we've got the rundowns, we've got the stops, we've got the backing, we've got the rollbacks. Um, and then, you know, all of those have little nuances in them. Um, it's physically Not a good idea, mentally not a good idea to come out every day and go through all of those many dozens of maneuvers, stop, spin, turn back, all of that. Um, you're going to wear out your horse both physically and mentally. So you usually pick, you know, a few and then figuring out which ones to do when and, um, my mom just drove by, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, I'm in a Walmart parking lot. So this is where I get good. Cause you're a professional <laughs>
2: podcaster. That's where you do it from. Okay.
3: Exactly. Own it. Exactly. Um, so, you know, f- scheduling which of those to do w- when is really important and it's a great thing to focus on. And, and uh, I'm totally up for, uh, expanding on that next month because it's, it's, It makes a huge difference in your horse's mental well-being and how well they perform for you when you're in the show pen.
2: Cool. So that's really cool. So uh, we're going to take a short break here and we're going to hear from the fine folks who make this show possible, Horseware. They have a little product called Ice Vibe out there, which is way, way, way more than putting ice on your horse. And then after that, we're going to get back into our listener submitted questions.
0: In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimise swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware.
2: Ta-da! All right. Listener submitted questions. What have you got for us today? Oh, man. I have some
3: really good ones. Um, so the first one I'm going to jump to is from Lori, and her question is about her Mustang. She said, "My Mustang was born in holding and then adopted by a young boy who let her walk all over him. This is not uncommon when with with children's horses. Um, so she's a lot like a bottle fed brat. <laughs> I've had some of those. Um, she's been turned out with horses mostly her her own age, but she didn't really learn the manners she needed to." Um, so she's working on getting, teaching her to respect personal space. She says she's just kind of an intensive, insensitive clunk for lack of a better description. Like, oh, I'm sorry. I knocked you over. It's just that the grass looked really good where you were standing. Um, so she said, I've replaced her nylon halter with a knotty rope halter for training, um, which has helped, but I'd like her to be as light in hand as my other horses who grew up being disciplined by herd and never learned that they are stronger than people. Um, this is a not an uncommon problem, especially with horses that have been um, raised from a very young age. They don't really fear people, and if they haven't been taught that boundaries, um, those boundaries by either their herd mates or their person, um, they can grow up to be very large, obnoxious lap dogs. Um, you know, imagine a chihuahua but a thousand pounds, uh, and they're trying to jump into your lap, and it's it's not uh, it's not a pleasant situation. Um, so, solving this issue can be really, really tricky uh, because you know a ranch race horse. Uh, yeah, he's seen people, but he's you know really hasn't interacted with them. Um, you know, those horses you can just barely lift your hand and they're like okay i'm getting away um and you know with these guys they're so not afraid of people they're used to running into people and they can even look to a person as a security blanket to where they see something scary and they try to jump in your pocket yeah. because you'll save them yeah. and even though the horse is probably just completely lovely and very sweet and wouldn't want to hurt you um they're a thousand pounds
2: well, <laughs> so... bumping up against to uh, against his horse buddy for security It's just it, his horse buddy might take offense, but he's not hurting his horse buddy. It would never occur to a horse that bumping into you would damage you. It's it's not in his, it's not in his wiring because he's learned yes. that human be, that human being's body language has no bearing on his life. It doesn't mean anything to him. So now you have to kind of start from square one to teach him, don't you?
3: Yes. They, they don't realize that we're, we're quite squishy and fragile. So, um, So the thing that I found with these horses is you have to get really creative and you have to know when to release. And with these horses, when you're using pressure, you've got to really, you know, get in there, be effective and get out as soon as you get any response. These are type of horses that I might tend to use a flag with because um, it is, it can make a lot of noise. It can, you know, uh, visually, it's very easy to see. And I don't have to really make contact with them where I'm having to just wail on them with a lead rope or or something to to get them off of me. Um, And so I I might try a flag with this horse, which I have done with one or two Mustangs I had just very oddly from the get-go. Did not mind being right in my space. And so, you know, I have been known to do jumping jacks, to make the craziest, I'll make duck noises, I'll kick up dirt, just something to get them to look at me. And then as soon as they kind of back off, even a split second, I release, um, and, and I don't drill on it because the more you drill on it, they can get duller and duller and duller. So, um you know, I would look into flag work with a horse like this and um, working with them probably in a round pen to begin with and just working on getting them away, you know, go to the fence, get away And, and starting from there. Another way that is kind of coming from a different end of the training spectrum that I actually find pretty effective with horses like this, if you feel like you're just Go into town with the pressure and nothing is happening and you don't feel comfortable going higher with the pressure, which I completely understand. Um, If, for instance, if you were to drop this horse at my door and say, okay, I need this horse to know boundaries, a way that I might approach it is actually going through positive reinforcement training. I find that speaks to these horses in a much clearer way and it really gets their attention over, um, just using pressure. Cause these horses are, so, they can be so dead to the world with pressure that you have to get super crazy, um, to get something to happen. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just, it's not as effective and you do feel like, okay, I, I can't go any harder with what I'm doing to ask you to move. So with the clicker training, the kind of exercises I would teach this horse is I will use, um, either my target or my hand to lure the horse backwards. So what I mean by that is um, I might have the food in my hand and I will push my hand kind of behind their chin so that they have to back up a step to take it. And that becomes a habit that builds over time. I may only get one step or even get them to lean back. But over time, they're like, oh, to get the cookies, I back up. And it becomes something not only that they start to do really well, but they love to do it because that's where all the food is. Um, and from there, you can actually work on adding a cue to mean backup. So maybe you give the lead rope a little wiggle and then use use your hand as the Lord now back up to get the cookie. So they'll st- even though you just barely had to wiggle the rope, they'll understand like, oh, every time I back up to get the cookie – that lead rope is wiggling and pretty soon you can wiggle the rope and without having to use the lure they'll go okay back up and then they get the cookie or if you don't feel comfortable using food you can scratch them on the neck just whatever they find reinforcing with a horse like this um if you are interested in the clicker training and this is something there's a lot of great books and resources both online um and in like dvd form that you can um look up to, to be more familiar with this method. But usually with a horse like this, I will start with the horse actually behind a fence. So that way I am eliminating the issue of you physically can't walk on top of me. And if you get too pushy, I can take a step back and, you know, you'll learn that if you're nice and sweet about it, we'll play the game, but if not, then I can walk away. So it's hard to get all of the methods that I would use into one uh, you know into the show but it is it is an avenue I would uh, that you might be interested in looking to, uh, looking at because horses like this you know I'm a professional trainer and I've gotten really good at applying pressure in a way that I use the least amount to get the most um, you know the most effective results but it can be very difficult so the clicker training is something that I have found really effective it's easier and with and it is something that makes horses like this go oh wait there's there's a reward for this now i'm i'm listening on all ears what do you want uh so it's you know you have to find a way to you know uh find their motivation
2: yeah yeah and that it's really really hard when you have a horse who's learned that pressure physical pressure for example tension on the lead rope is he he knows that release is not the right answer is like, well, no, there's the answer is ignore it. And that's a really, really hard set of circumstances to overcome. It's almost like you have to go back to square one. I only know this because when we got Scooter, Glenn's hackney pony, he had been tethered like he would like tie, tie a dog in your backyard. Mm-hmm. um, And he had also been starved. He did not have food or oh. water. So he got very, very good at pulling very, very hard at whatever he was tied to in an effort to find food and water. So when we got him any pressure at all on a lead rope, he would generally just lean right into hang on it. it. It would just hang right on it. And it took me a long time to develop the emotional maturity to really step outside what I had always done previously. I came from the school of... Yank on the lead rope, shake the lead rope, put a chain over their nose, all those sorts of things. I had never really tried anything besides that. And I really had to step outside myself a little bit and go, okay, something different has to happen with this pony because those things don't work. Um, And I really had to teach myself to be so much more subtle with everything I do with that pony because as soon as there's tension... Game's over. There's. It's not a case of teaching this pony to move away from physical pressure. It's just not going to happen. If you touch him on the side, he leans against you. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. And if you increase the pressure to the point where he does move away from you, he's moving away from you, from you because he perceives physical pain or fear. Well, that's not where we're going yeah. either. So exactly, I've learned you that if I walk really towards him that. and I move my body slowly, so that he can see that their pressure is about to happen, he moves over beautifully. It's almost like I have a force field. Ooh, <laughs> um, And it's much more effective. It it gets the job done 99.9% of the time, which is pretty cool. But it's still hard for me. I still have to remind myself because I just want to lean over and give him a shove. <laughs>
3: yes. Working with horses like this, and, and I found this working with animals that don't have as keen of a flight reflex like donkeys and mules, you learn how to get real creative with pressure and how to how to accept, okay, I really wanted you to back four steps, but you're not moving. So uh you know, I might release if you move if you lean back one centimeter. We're gonna start there. If we can get that then we can get you to lean back a little bit more yeah. and then lean back a little bit more. Yeah. And then, Oh, your foot's leaving the ground. Now you're starting to take steps yeah. and, um, donkeys uh, training donkeys. It's very easy to, you know, you wave, you rave a rope or whatever and they don't respond. So you immediately go to like the highest amount of pressure that you can use. Um, donkeys just turn off. They're like, you could light me on fire. I am not moving. But if you dial it way, 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 way back, like for instance, with the donkey, what I might do is just gently press on their chest. And like, I'm talking, you're not even making contact with the skin. You're just touching the hair and then slowly move in. And it is like you say, it, it does become like a force field. And then I might just kind of hold my hand and maybe I've made a little contact with the skin and I'll just hold and I'll just wait and it might be 10 minutes and the donkey goes, "Oh. Okay, I'm going to back up." And then release and then like put him away. That's the best you've ever done. Um so the 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 key is with horses like this is get creative, find what speaks to them and and dial your expectations down way way low except, you know, if if it's called a oh, I I was going to say what the term for this is, but if if a behavior's not working for you, Slice it down into smaller chunks. If it's still not working, slice it down even more. I will say my one caveat with this is, you know, if the horse is standing on your foot and you're hearing bones crack, do whatever you have to do to get him off of you. You're allowed to defend yourself. Try not to have yourself in that situation, but, you know, you never know. They're horses. Yeah, try happen. to sell your,
2: set yourself um, up for success as well as the horse, right?
3: <laughs> yeah. So if you're in a dangerous situation, that horse is going to break something. Become a ninja. Do whatever you have to do to say, get off. But during training, you know, find, find creative ways to get in there and pique their interest and get them motivated. Mm-hmm.
2: Cool, cool question, Lori. And uh, make sure you hop on the the auditor's Facebook page and give us a little update when you find some things that really make this horse's light bulb come on. Because I'm curious, and they there's subtle differences with each animal that has developed this kind of outlook. Uh, and I'm I'm real curious to see what uh, hers is going to be. So, what's next? Okay, uh, we, got, we got time for one more before we talk to our caller. Okay, I'll do a short
3: one. This is from Casey. Any advice for getting a top line on an older mare with a bit of a swayback? She's a smaller mare and hasn't been ridden in probably 10 years, so I'm pretty much restarting her at 26. What a challenge. Wow. Um, Good on you. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, once the horse starts to get of a certain age, uh, there is going to be loss over that top line. Uh, You're not going to unsway a swayback. Um, you know, that's just nature, genetics, circumstance, um, past history. Um, but I have found that if my horses are looking, um, like they're getting more kind of a hay belly and they're not, they're just losing that conditioning and muscling over the top line. And I, my disclaimer is I'm not a nutritionist, um, but, I tend to find that it's because they're lacking something in a diet, usually something like protein. Um, and people are very quick to jump to supplements and grains, which are very good and can be very helpful. But I find good quality forage is the first step that you need to go to. Um, my horses seem to look really amazing on alfalfa. Um, I really like it because of, you know it's just it's just got a, a lot of good things going for it nutritionally um it uh it's got really good roughage and stem length which is good for their gut and i i, I think it's helpful in preventing things like impaction colic not every horse can handle alfalfa um and you know so you have to be careful with that i do have one or two that that can't can't do the alfalfa but a really good quality hay um is and and enough of it. Um, you know, if they can have it free choice to where they can snack on them all day, that, that I found can make a big difference in conditioning. Um, so I would look for things like that for her diet. There's some really great senior feeds on the market, uh, that has a lot of good stuff, especially for older horses and horses that maybe, uh, you know, they have problems with, you know, they, they losing their teeth and they, um, it, it, there's even stuff grains that can be a forage replacement for horses like that uh, i think triple crown seniors are a really really good one um what are your thoughts on this
2: what are my thoughts all definitely tick the box of make sure her nutrition is appropriate for her age and current work and anticipated future work and you're right um we just did a tip on this on this uh, on the horsemanship radio show a couple of weeks back. The nutritionist, Dr. Getty, that comes on there was talking about uh, protein and its importance. And I think uh, insufficient quality and quantity of protein is a common factor for a lot of horses. And that being said, something that I have really begun to rely upon to keep my horse horse's top line from turning to complete Dust, because I live in the flatlands of Florida, is I am currently in love with ground poles uh, the, yes, a horse has to engage his core, which is what he's doing when he's developing his top line, in order to navigate ground poles now I'm not talking about cavaletti, which are raised I 'm talking about ground poles which are on the ground um And I have found they are incredibly useful at the walk. Yes, the walk. You don't even necessarily need to be trotting over them, which might be useful if you have an older horse that a lot of pounding is going to be a bad idea to get started. Because if you have zero fitness level, trotting a ton of ground poles is probably not going to be the best. But walking a ton of ground poles, hello. And what I would recommend you do is start out with a couple, two or three in a row at an appropriate distance for her walk. Nigel's walk, it's going to be about two and a half to three feet for him and gradually work up. And now we are at six poles in a row. And my goal is to get it set up so that he can do 12 ground poles in a row at the walk again and again and again. And I would start out with just put those poles in the arena. And every time you go around that 20 meter circle at the walk, walk over the poles or make a ten-meter circle, so you do them more frequently. Because what I do is I start out with a few poles, three to five, uh, or several sets of three. So the frequency of how many, of going over that set of poles is like you do a set of ten push-ups, then take a break, then do another set of ten push-ups, and then take a break, and then do another ten set of. Rather than doing ten, then twenty, then thirty, then forty, do little breaks. and and advance it that way. And that's a really easy, safe, low stress way to help a horse rediscover their core. And another one I would find very useful again with ground poles is a small set of walk ground poles, three, and a set of trot ground poles, three to five. And put them in your, your work area in a straight line so that you go from the trot poles and you have an appropriate distance where you can do a downward transition comfortably followed by your walk poles because the horse is going to learn that he's trotting through what hap- tends to happen is horses will trot through those ground poles. And when they get to the end of the trot poles, they've kind of fallen on their forehand, they're rolling along down a hill by placing those walk poles afterwards. The horse is going to start to anticipate. This is where anticipation can be useful He's going to anticipate doing a downward transition and having to re-engage his core to get through the walk poles. Engaging my core at the trot, engaging my core for the downward transition, all by myself without having to lean on your aids, and then continuing. So you can stretch out the amount of time he's engaging his core for him or herself, rather than counting on the horse's, counting on the rider to do all the work for them, because that's a real common thing at least in my experience that we as riders tend to teach our horse to lean on us in every way hello Lori. um they lean on our aids because we teach them to do that and those poles can help the horse do it for themselves so
3: <gasps> awesome that's a good one now I'm, I'm gonna get all
2: my ground poles out because i do need to work on that
3: um i
2: need to go buy more yeah. i only have eight and i need more
3: <laughs> i know right Um, yeah, I love the ground pole idea, you know, also doing a lot of long and low exercises, getting to really stretch out and, and, uh, you know, not only is that really good for conditioning their top line, but, um, it helps your course. I find that if they can really stretch out over that whole body and, and have that really kind of beautiful, sort of like an upside down banana shape as they're riding, um, it it also makes them more focused and relaxed, which is uh, really good too. Especially if you're restarting one.
2: There you go. Restarting is good. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here and enjoy a little bit of Templeton Thompson, and then we're going to hear from our wonderful sponsors, Total Saddle Fit. And then when we come back, we're going to be chatting with Mary. Woo-hoo. <laughs>
1: caged in. Need to get a little air so I can breathe again. Got a thirst in my heart, hunger in my eyes. Need to satisfy my soul. Free my wild side. My wheels have been spinning like crazy in my head. Gotta get back to living before I forget. My sights are set A pair of wings And a long stretch of sky I've saddled these dreams I'm holding on tight Need a good strong tall wind And a horse that can fly yeah. Got a load on my back And a lot on my mind yeah, the weight of this world Really gets me sometimes There's a freedom inside me I've been missing so much Gonna kick the gates wide open And leave a big old cloud of dust Yeah, 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 yeah Cause I need somewhere to run Somewhere to rock A fresh pair of wings And a long stretch sky i saddle sad of these dreams, i them tight Need a good, strong, tall wind, And a horse that can fly yeah. Giddy up, look at what lies on the Second star to the left Then straight on till morning Cause I need somewhere to run Somewhere to run A fresh pair of wings And a long stretch of sky Saddle be And a horse that can fly
0: to this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com.
3: Hi, Mary. This is Mary with Horses in the Morning. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um so you posted a couple of questions. Um I'm going to let you pick which one uh which one, which question um has the most importance. Well, I mean they both do. They're two different horses, but I'll I'll go
4: with the one with um, the the Mustang. <clears throat> okay, so the, this is
3: the guy the, who fair the got yeah. Stranger danger. Multiple stranger danger. <laughs> Which is—it's very common with mustangs, and and it's funny because you know when you're starting them from the wild, um, you and you and your horse will get like this great bond, and you can pick up his feet, you can look in his mouth, you can handle him, and then the vet comes out and he's hanging from the rafters, um, which I've had yeah. more than once, and I have to explain. I swear I've trained him, <laughs> but it's like I know, complete, yeah.
4: I'm glad to hear that. um but I feel he has a' he has a tiny bit of a backstory too. He got um he got rescued from another rescue that snuck up on him a lot. so there were people he thinks that multiple people around him have an agenda, and he could pick up on that really quickly and so I'm trying to figure out how to let him know that agendas are not bad <laughs> um, so. It's a, it's a little frustrating. And full disclosure, Jamie gave me a good tip, but I can't really implement it. And that was to just have an assembly line of people keep coming up and touching him and walking away and and then slowly, you know, making that more touching, more people. Um, but I I just can't get the people there where he is to implement that. So...
3: Yeah, that's tricky, and and I I actually have a similar thing, um, but yeah, you've got to get a team of people, and, and it's a clicker training thing, but you don't necessarily have to be clicker training to do it, and that is to, um, I've had a horse that, you know, I had taught to target, and he understood the click, and he understood that the click means a reward, and we would just casually stand around in the arena with the horse loose, and he doesn't have to do anything, he's, um, you know, just whoever he approaches they would click and you know, um, and and give them a treat if you would allow it. And pretty soon you've got the horses like walking up to everyone like, What do you have for me? What do you have for me? Um, oh, that's so yeah, but again you gotta you gotta get the people. Um, what I have done is just um, any time that like for instance I was riding Remy um, yesterday and he was he's pretty fresh anyway. He was kind of acting uh, like really energetic for him. Um, but my mini mule had been loose uh, and had jumped onto my observation deck and scared the bejesus out of him. So then um, later on, a couple of people came out to watch me ride him. And when they walked on the observation deck, he had remembered the scary commotion. And he was kind of goofy. So I just went and grabbed A bucket of treats and handed it to the people on the deck and say, okay, will you just give him some treats? And then he was like, oh, okay, that's cool. So I've done that with horses and training before, like anytime, um, you know, someone comes up, I'll just pull, I always have a pocket full of treats. I'll pull treats out of my pocket and be like, can you give this to them? Um, and so it just, and especially it works the best if you can do it when you don't have nothing, no one has an agenda. So the horse is just like, man, that person walked up to me and gave me food and then walked away. This is great. So if you can catch a person, you know, having, having them do that can make a big difference. Um, what I have done with my farrier and, um, is I've had a few horses, a few Mustangs, most of them. I just trained the heck out of and my farrier is really good with being patient. And the first session on some of my Mustangs, uh, he's just maybe picked up the feet and then we've called it good there. Like we don't have to go into the trimming and the next time he comes out, we'll get him. Um, and that way they got introduced to the farrier, but we didn't like try and do all four feet when it just clearly wasn't going to happen. Um, but what I have also done and I find for for some horses this is just made the experience so much better is I have you sedation and um, you know there is a dermosedan gel um, out there you have to be very careful with it you know as far as you know don't don't consume it yourself on accident because it's a gel it can get all over you but but the good thing is it's easy for me to give to my horse um, and I don't have to worry about injections and I I will do it mm.
4: um,
3: yeah I will do it quite a bit before the farrier is ready for him so like when we start on the first horse I'll give I'll give the gel to the mustang and then by the time we get to the mustang he's usually pretty good and now just because they're sedated doesn't mean they're magically going to be okay um the dermostan's really good but you know some of these sedatives if the horse is still in a state of extreme fear they will blow right through them and be like the incredible hulk so you still have to you know be really slow and thoughtful but i find that for that first experience with the farrier it can just smooth things over it makes it a good experience we didn't have to fight the horse and make it worse for the next time um so again my my Disclaimer with that is it would be to speak with your vet about that and find out if that's something they think is a good idea and what they would recommend. But I have done that for both the vet and the farrier. Um, You know, I've had the vet come out and do things that don't require sedation on a Mustang, but they went ahead and gave them a little sedation to do it just to let's just make this first experience calm and easy. And then I, I've noticed a huge difference between that first visit and the next visit. And and usually by the next time they're out, it has made a huge difference.
4: Okay. That's interesting. And the um, sedative doesn't affect their balance like as far as having three feet on the ground instead of four, are they any harder? It depends.
3: To- it depends on what you're using in the dose. And again, this is one I would definitely talk with your vet, um, and you know, different sedatives make the horse react in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that's something. Yeah, I would talk with your vet about. I haven't had the, that experience with Dormosedan, um, but and different horses react differently. You know, I've um, some of some of mine when I've had vet procedures done, like getting their teeth done. Um, they were what I would call a cheap drunk like <laughs> it didn't take anything, and they're almost on the ground to <laughs> have their teeth flooded. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it is it is something that um I have found, especially with this horse, was that I've had a traumatic experience or they're fresh out of the wild. Um, and I know it's going to be an issue. Training can, can of course, you know, training is the number one thing that you wanna, you're going to want to use. But I find right. that that can help in some of those situations where there's an issue with the source and it can make a big difference. Um, okay. Jim, what do you think about this?
2: Uh, I think you're on the right track in that. Ask your vet about that because you've got to start somewhere. Um, stranger danger. Have you ever tried, this might sound a little bit bizarre, but because it's hard for you to get people to come out and help you, changing, right. making yourself seem like somebody different? You know? Yes. Yes, I have. Like, uh, um, wear, wear a giant that. sombrero hat that you bought at the dollar store. <laughs> Wrap yourself up in a horse <laughs> blanket. It's still you, but make That's yourself look, move, smell very different than you normally do, and just present yourself to your horse and see what he does. And if he seems amenable, say, "Okay, I'm the stranger, and I'm going to ask if I can interact with you." Obviously, if he freaks out and loses his marbles, you might not want to react to him. But that's the other, the only other thing I can come up with to help him understand that human beings can take different forms and still be trustworthy without actually having any spare human beings on hand.
4: That's a good one too.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I'll
4: try that. And I did ask, there's one other gal working with one of the other wild horses and she has a nice manner about her. So I introduced him to her and asked her whenever she was there to go in without me supporting him and see if she can get his feet picked up and what she can do with him. And that has, that's been within the last two weeks and she's been doing a real nice job of it. So if I can and find that, the people that I think so. have the timing, you know? So, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah. It's one of those just, cause I've done this where I have, you know, I have a Mustang for four months and he's got a show and some Mustangs, are fine with anybody once you get them trained. But some are very they're they so know when someone is not their person and they can act like a completely different horse. So you just try to beg bar or steal anyone you can. I know um one person, they and this is actually not something I would do out of liability but but it worked for them. They had a Mustang that um was doing really well. They took him to his first show and he he was tied um they people would tie their horses along uh, the rail, um, and they, I don't think they had stalls available, but, but that's where the horse would be in between classes. And they had a bucket of treats out with a sign that says "Give me treats" to the horse. And so anyone that walked by would, you know, feed the horse a treat. So the horse was like, "Man, I love strangers." Um said, <laughs> so that one, I would, I would worry. What if he accidentally took someone's finger? I don't like. I typically don't like someone feeding my horse treats unsupervised, but it was, it just kind of gets your brain working on creative ways. Like I said, I, I usually, I always have treats on me and I've done that like with my little BLM burrows. They were extremely weird about people, especially off in the distance. And when I started taking my burrows out of the arena and leading them around, um, I would, uh, I would like my mom would be in the shop and she'd come out to see him. And, and uh, I would just grab a treat out of my pocket and hand it to her and she would give it to them. And then within a few sessions, they're like walking toward her, like, Oh my gosh, you're that lady with the treats. And the key to doing this is doing it during times when we don't have to get anything done. Like I said before, I've, I've had horse, but things that they came to me with really long feet and Oh my God, we have to get these feet done on this horse. But, you know, when my ferrier came up to him, I could, I could tell, okay, this is just, we are not getting these feet trimmed, but he was really good to, I'm going to hold him. You're going to pet on him. And, you know, he would kind of start to maybe work his hand. We never went past the point of, okay, this horse can't handle this, but that's all we got done that session. um, and we will just wait till the next time. Um, Cause we, you know, we don't want anyone getting hurt. We don't want the horse traumatized. That's, that's the most important thing, but yeah, yeah I have done that with my ferry before. Or... Exactly.
4: Um, exactly. That, yeah, that sounds great. I mean, he, where he is now, he's not where I keep my horses. He's at the rescue, but he's mine. And we, couldn't get a move last year for whatever reason. And he's over Teton pass. So once the pass closed to trailers, I couldn't bring him over, but, um, he gets a lot of treats. He does understand that people are there to give him treats. And so it's definitely the agenda when it changes, when there's something that he knows people want from him. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm going to, I'm definitely going to work on, um, trying to get my farrier or a farrier there's there's another gal that's part of the rescue board and she trims her own horse's feet, so I think she would be the best. And maybe I'll try to get her to do what you're saying, like approach and retreat, and just you know, I don't want much for me right now. Just tolerate me. Yeah, and, and I've, I've had it jail. happen
3: before. Yeah, I, I've you know I've had it done before where the farrier we'll get the front feet done and I'll say, let's save the back feet for next time. So you're still going into that territory where you're getting something done and you are, Mm -hmm. you know, you do have an agenda, but we've always just kept it. It's okay if the horse gets a little stressed; he's got to learn to deal with that. But you keep it under that threshold of now we're in full panic mode and it's a bad experience. And, um, and this is something where I have a very rudimentary knowledge of trimming feet, um, so I have in a pinch. It's a good skill to learn. I have in a pinch with uh, some of my horses that are just too ridiculously long to leave, where I have you know whacked off some of that uh, some of that hoof to where at least you know it's it's manageable, and and that will buy me time until the next uh, yeah. the next appointment with the farrier.
4: Yeah, that's why I ask this question now, because if I wait until it dries out anymore, his feet will be really hard for almost anybody to trim. They are such Mustang feet. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard. It's
2: a nice problem and, to have. Yeah, Yeah, and first world problem right there, but right?
4: <laughs> yeah, once I get them looking good, I mean, I could, I could send you some pictures that would make your skin crawl, but... Um, Uh, Yeah, so I'm desperate to get his feet done, and perhaps he's picking up on that too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, he might be. They're 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 incredibly astute in that respect, and that made me think of something when you were talking about helping allow the horse to get a little stress, but stay below the low threshold. He might be one of those horses that appears to be well under threshold, but he's keeping it to himself. So it would be interesting to try a little bit when you do these experiments, whether it's by changing who you appear to be or by introducing other people um, to do way less than you think you should and see if that makes a difference to him.
4: You know, Jen, I think you hit the nail on the head there because he's very, he's got a lot of draw. He seems like he's really brave and bold, but I have another horse like that. And I've heard also Mary talk very often about some of these horses that are bold and sort of calm and stoic and um, they they're just maybe suppressing or they don't give you as many signals they don't I think put it on the outside sure. yeah
2: oh see yeah. now yeah. mary you're gonna you're gonna have to hop on when you find some things that work for him you have to hop on the hrn auditor's facebook page and tell us about your wonderful experiences because i'm curious now
4: <laughs> i will i will yeah it'll be uh it'll be a fun journey so cool
2: well thanks for uh, yeah, thanks great. for calling oh, in, in today
4: to yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the advice and I love this segment.
2: <laughs> it's one of our favorites oh, yay! <laughs> Bye-bye, Mary. All right, happy spring. Bye. How interesting is that?
3: Yeah. You know, so and amazing. it's not terribly uncommon for Mustangs to have those qualities because think about it, you know, that stoicism is a lifesaver. You don't want to signal that you're not okay. Uh, you don't want to signal that you're Uh, that you're hurt or whatever, you know, because there are things out there that could kill you. And so they can really hold in a lot of stuff and look completely fine until they're not. Um, My Mustang Dougal is very much that way. Um, He's ridiculously quiet until he's not. Ridiculously not. Um, (laughs) Yes. It's just a switch flips. And um, and he is actually one of the toughest ones I've had with strangers, particularly men. Now, I've had people tell me over the years, oh, my horse doesn't like men. And I've always kind of, I, I don't want to say I didn't believe it, but I just had not experienced it. I was like, no, nah, you're just putting more onto it than, than what's really there. Or, mm-hmm. But no, this guy from 100 feet away is like, that's a man, and just becomes airborne. Isn't that
1: interesting? And, uh,
3: huh. Yeah, it's, it's the most bizarre case of that. It's, it's very, uh, it's very interesting. And as it so happens, my farrier is a man and my vet is a man. Ah! So, um, (laughs) yeah, so lots of fun there, but okay. So, and this, this would also be a good, uh, thing to inform Mary's question is, um, my stepbrother, um, cleans my stalls. He's, and he's an amazing, uh, he is not a trainer, but he is amazing with animals. Um, he has, and it's because he has no agenda. Um, he is really uh, he, he, you know, he doesn't want anything from them. He doesn't expect anything from them. And um, what he does, he trains my mustangs when I'm not looking, and I I am totally for it because. He's just in there cleaning their stalls. He's really chill. He's really calm. If they allow him an opportunity to pet him, he'll sit there and pet on him. And so he has made the biggest difference in Dougal, especially with men. Um, And I can feel the difference between, you know, I could tell that Andy has been messing with him and petting on him. And so it's it's such a great experience because he doesn't care if the horse lets him pet him. He doesn't, he's not going to take the horse out and train him. He's not going to trim his mm-hmm. feet. And so it just gives that horse a really safe experience where they they don't feel pressured. And it helps. It's just another step in helping helping them get used to strangers.
2: Cool. So good stuff today. Yeah. Yeah. So, so people who want to appropriately stalk you online... Find out what your clinic schedule is like. Have you come and do a clinic or demonstration? Send you a horse that needs training. Come to your place and learn how to ride better, etc. How do they do that? You can find me on
3: Facebook, at Mary Kitzmella Horsemanship. I'm also on Instagram. I have a website, um, and that's got all my contact info. And, uh, yeah, that's
2: where you can find out. There you go. And Mary is also an amazing artist and has all kinds of cool stuff available for people to purchase. And where do they find that?
3: So that is Troublemaker Trading Company, which is very apt. Um, also on Instagram and Facebook and on uh, online, there's a website you can buy from as well.
2: All righty. Well, cool. That's about a wrap for today. We will be back again next month to geek out on horse training. If you would like to be one of the people who gets to submit training questions to Mary for her monthly show, you need to do that over on the HRN Auditor's Facebook page. And how do you get there? You go to Horse Radio Network or Horses in the Morning, click on the Auditor's banner, and find out how you can become an auditor. And we'll see you next month, Mary. All right. See you then.